day before Thanksgiving in 1971, a man identifying himself as Dan Cooper bought a plane ticket from Portland to Seattle. He hijacked the plane, claiming he had a bomb in his briefcase and demanded $200,000 in four parachutes. He jumped out of the plane with the money and the bomb somewhere over the Pacific Northwest, never to be seen again. The FBI claims to have investigated over a thousand people, including dozens of deathbed confessions. In 2016, 45 years after the hijacking, the FBI suspended its investigation of the case. While the FBI is no longer looking for D.B. Cooper, there is a community of people who are trying to solve the case on their own. Welcome to the Cooper Vortex. On this episode of the Cooper Vortex is Brian Woodruff. Brian is the owner of the Ariel store in the tiny town of Ariel, Washington, where many believe D.B. Cooper landed. The Ariel store was home to the annual D.B. Cooper Days celebration held every Friday after Thanksgiving until 2015 when Brian's mother Donna passed away. Donna purchased the store in 1990, but the county took away the store's business and liquor licenses when she died. Brian wants to open the store back up, but the state and county aren't making it easy. I hope you enjoy my conversation with my friend, Brian Woodruff. The party was started in 1974 by Jermaine. And for the next 16 years, from 74 to 1990, the store changed hands a couple different times. In 1990, my mom bought it from Germain for basically paid cash for it and had the party for the next 25 years between the party and her tacos she pretty much became a legend herself <laughs> and not too many people who didn't like her and if they didn't like her that she knew about it she let them know she had no problem saying what was on her mind Everyone I've talked to just absolutely loved your mom. Oh, yeah. She's well-respected, and that's my point for putting up the memorial wall for her. I mean, I got stuff from when she was in high school, and the, I don't know what you got, I guess the Future Farmers of America, she's involved in that when she's in high school. After high school, Cub Scouts, I, you know, she did all kinds of things, give back to the public quite a bit. Did a lot for the community. Yeah. Well, it's like everybody, you know, wonders what she was always doing with the beer tabs off the top of the beer cans. Well, at first, she started saving them for somebody over in the center for kidney dialysis. Well, it helped that person a lot. I guess he's gone to school and is now working and helping others with kidney disease. Well, after that was over, she started giving them to the Grange over in Amboy. And all those went to the Ronald McDonald house. You know, so the beer tabs, everybody's helped her collect them support good causes. I plan on doing the same thing. And I got all the certificates that were sent here to mom for participating in it. You know, 
One or two of them might have her name on it, but most of them have Ariel's store. I'm going to have them displayed in here because, you know, the people that come in help contribute towards getting those certificates. And you're even thinking of changing the name to Donna's. Yeah, the spin, you know. It's always been known as Ariel's store. It will still be Ariel's store, but I'm changing it. I'm putting Donna. It'll be Donna's Ariel store pub. Right. Because basically I have to choose between a pub or a store. To do a store, I'm required to have $3,000 worth of merchandise on hand at all times. That excludes pop, beer, wine, cigarettes. So basically, I just, you know, I can't compete with the stores down with and there ain't no way. I mean, they turn it into a pub. Throughout its history, it's basically been a gathering spot for the locals until the D.B. Cooper party started here. You know, they put Ariel on the map. And they started in 74. Yeah. And, you know, and when mom took over, you know, the next 25 years, I think a lot of people had good times. Oh, for sure. <laughs> for and, sure. You know, I, I got the 25 books that mom had people sign in on for door prizes. I got all the 25 t-shirts that she did, plus three that were done before she had it. It's all going to be part of the little Cooper Museum I plan on having within the building, along with all the articles. I still have the parachute. It's just going to take some time and get it all going again. You know, when Mom passed the state and county, took the grandfather clauses away. So I basically have to open as a new business. And when I do, it's going to be in memory of my mom. Yeah, that'll be awesome. They let a lot of stuff slide <laughs> uh, as far as the building being up to code or the rules on serving alcohol even. Um, and so when she passed away, like you were saying, they're making you start all over as a fresh business. Yep. So uh, you have a lot of work ahead of you to get this place back open again. Yeah, but, you know, it's all about, you know, not only for myself but for others to get it reopened again. Because to me, you know, it represents the town of Burial. Definitely. And this building holds a lot of memories for everybody that's ever been in it. Oh, absolutely. Whether it's been whether they were members of the families that lived here or were customers. It's like got a couple. This guy walked in one time and started giving my mom a bad time about her boat being in his living room. Well, he had grown up in a cottage below the building, the cement slab where the cottage is at is still there, but the cottage isn't. Her boat was sitting on it. So he was just giving her a bad time. And I know it's like one time I was sitting here and another lady was parked across the road and she was just sitting back in her 
front seat with her eyes closed, so I walked across the road and asked her if she needed help or something. She goes, no, I'm just here having a day job boo moment. She had also grown up in the cottage. You know, brings back a lot of memories for people. And I don't want to see it go away. Oh, definitely. Like you, you know. when we were talking earlier, you said if you look at a map and there's that dot that's aerial, that dot is this store. Yeah, it's this building. And for me, this building represents 25 years of my mom's life. Before this, she owned the Center Tavern. And, you know, basically throughout her life, she's done a lot. I like the community of Amboy Yagald area. She is one of the original members of the Women of the Moose in Woodland. She made me join the Moose so she could join. <laughs> <laughs> this place brings back a lot of memories. Oh, I'm sure. When was the first time that you came to the store? 1990. When your mom bought it? After she had bought it. Because she had my grandma here with her. And like the day my grandmother died, I'd called and told mom I was coming out. Well, a couple hours later, she called and told me that I didn't need to because she, I was waiting a couple hours because mom was going to take grandma to the doctor while well, she passed away in my mom's car. So there was no need for me to come out that day. And if it wasn't for my grandma, Mom wouldn't have been able to buy Ariel's store. The first few years, my grandmother was here. Well, my, the first weekend, first Memorial Day weekend, I don't know the name of the biker group from Portland come out and spent the whole weekend here, and my mom and grandma fed them the whole weekend. They'd come out because their leader had passed away. And the group would come out because this is his favorite place to be at. Mm -hmm. So they stayed the weekend and had a good time. And I think mom got along with just about anybody until you got on the wrong side of her. And then <laughs> you found out real quick. <laughs> 25 years, a lot of stories can be told. Oh, for sure. And uh, so DB Cooper days had been going on for years when your mom bought the store. Yeah. And do you remember what month she bought the store? Uh, March. March. So she had a while to prepare for her first D.B. Cooper days. Yeah. Uh, and had you been to, you hadn't been to a D.B. Cooper days before then? No. So 90 was your first one. Uh, or were you in town for that one? No, I, uh, probably 91. 91. It was my first one. What There's did you think? only been a couple that I haven't been to. What do you what did you think of that when you first saw those DB Cooper Days events? I was amazed so many people come. And probably the biggest one ever was the twentieth anniversary. And as far as we know, Mom has made probably six hundred plus people come through that day. And she had the old Studebaker truck, she pulls up, whole back in I mean, you couldn't put no more beer in the walk in. She had that much beer on hand. Well, next morning you open the door, it's like, well, sure glad everybody had a good time because all the beer was gone. <laughs> she enjoyed it, the party. 
Well, her customers were like family to her. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. No. She didn't buy the place to make money. Really. I mean, what she did benefited her customers. They really, you know, she's only allowed to make so much. You're being on Social Security. At first, she was only charging 50 cents a piece for her tacos at the end, a buck. And there ain't no place where you can go get a, a taco with everything on it, including the sour cream and salsa for a dollar a piece. No. And I like her steak nights. Uh, where can you get a Swiss steak or a chicken fried steak for seven bucks? And that's your steak, that's your potato, that's your vegetable, that's your salad, that's your dessert, your dinner roll. You couldn't. And that's how much my mom loved being associated with the public. Had you and your mom followed the D.B. Cooper case before she bought the store? I have no idea. I, you know, I'd seen it on the news a few times, but it never come up this way. And I lived in Vancouver at the time that she bought it. Mm-hmm. And... I remember a little bit of it in 71. I think I was, what, maybe 12 years old at the time, or just turned 12. I was kind of kind of surprised that she'd bought it because she already had the center tavern. Right. And then she bought this. And she maybe bought it for her home. Had her mother living here with her, and then her mom passed and well when she bought it she told Jermaine she would keep the party going which she did and once I get the place open again I'm going to keep doing the party it's part of the history of the place oh absolutely and you know mom collected I guess just about anything or everything Cooper that she could. People brought her articles, mailed her articles, mailed her books, brought books to her. I have all that. It's all going to be put up as a Cooper sort of museum. You know, this place known worldwide as the home of the Cooper Party. It's the original place for it. It's best place for a museum I figure you know I mean they come from all over the world even now they do in the last two years since she's passed I've had to tell a lot of people that she's passed away people that didn't know and like I tell them I'll eventually get it reopened in her memory I've said that since the day she passed might take a while but I'll get there eventually for sure because if there is a building that represents the D.B. Cooper heist, this is it. Yeah. Well, it's like, hey, Mom died in October 2015. There's a place in Vancouver that was open in October of 2016. Bailey, they got fixed up like the interior of an airplane. Like, I think named it after the flight path. Well, this guy that owns it lives in Richfield. He claims Vancouver needs something to own. So what's better than D.B. Cooper? I just laugh about it because, you know, 
Ariel's store is the home of D.B. Cooper, period. Or anybody can have a Cooper party. But Ariel's store is the original home of that party. And nobody's going to take that from this building. They can't. No. You can't take what away from people what's in their hearts and memories of the place. The Civil War did away with owning people. Nobody owns Cooper. They can't, they, nobody knows his name, so how can they even own him? He's his own man. To me, he's like a ghost that will never be caught. You don't think they'll ever solve this case? No. I don't think they will ever will. You've had a lot of people through these doors who have tried to solve the case. Mm-hmm. Probably just about all of them, right? Probably. Anyone who's been serious about it. Not so much myself as my mom. Right, in this building. Yeah, and that's reflected in all the books that people have signed in. There's a lot of them in those books. For some reason, it's meant to never be solved. The only thing I can think of is in the era that it occurred, it's a cover-up. They don't want it solved, the government. Why? Good government was behind it for two reasons. What are those reasons? The atrocities of Vietnam, airport security. So they staged this to cover up the story of the atrocities of Vietnam that was Sheridan Peterson that he yeah. was writing that? And then to change airport security. Yeah. Since there was none. Yeah, basically. And like in the Hob book, why did he pick Portland Airport? It was a newer airport. It was a small one, less security. And there's a lot of hijackings going on at the time. The airport owners, they wanted to put a million dollars at all the airport. Plane gets hijacked, pay the, pay the ransom. The FBI catches the guy. Cooper's case, he got the money, he got the parachutes. He didn't get caught, hasn't been caught yet. As a result of his hijacking, what happened to the security at airports? It got increased. 9-11 happened, it got increased even more. So, in a way, Cooper's responsible for our air travel being safer than it was before 71. Definitely. He just walked in, there was no cameras or anything. and Yep. You paid cash for a ticket, wrote his name down as Dan Cooper, and disappeared yeah and there's a guy here that attended a few of the parties his name was dan cooper he was from hawaii but he wasn't the hijacker and there are a lot of people they suspected of being db cooper but been proven wrong you know like joe weber claiming her husband Dwayne made his deathbed confession while Kenny Grishinson, Dwayne Weber, if you looked at both, they would be almost identical. They died around the same, I'm not sure what year what Kenny died. Well, I want to say it was like 94 or 95. Yeah, Dwayne Weber passed in 95, okay. Joe starts digging in and, you know, goes out public with it. So, Lyle Christian gets, oh, Kenny looks something like the composite. 
So he studies everything on Dwayne Weber, then makes his own claim. The other guy, you know, he contacted him. They just brushed him off, probably because of the similarities between what he's telling him and what Joe Weber had already told him. So he gets a couple, hold a couple others, and I guess apparently they believed what they were telling him, but, you know, of all the books that have been written and stuff, you know, after the hijacking, Cooper sent letters out. Why do none of the books really mention those letters? Because most of them, you know, like Kenny Christian, he is already back home. So was Dwayne, you know, nobody wants to talk about where their subjects were at when those, while those letters were being mailed. Right, because it doesn't fit. It don't fit their storyline. No, I, the most recent book I got was My Father Was D.B. Cooper. None of those letters are even mentioned in it. And sure, the, the author of the book has all these parachute jump records, but probably not one for November 24th, 1971. Sure, his dad might have been out and about somewhere, but what about the letters that were sent? The guy had already returned home, if I remember correctly. So you can't be at your hometown and be at all these other locations mailing out letters that don't work that way. No, the letters got post stamps on them. It's misdirection, misdirection. There's, there's a lot of different suspects. Well, I think there's over 900 they've investigated. But you don't think they've even looked into the real people or the real person who's pulled it off? I don't, I don't think they... Uh, well, in 71, just like in 2001. Does any of our government work with each other? No. Look at what's going on nowadays. Justice Department, FBI, they're not even willing to work together. That's our government for you. One part of the government can do one thing. Another part of the government won't even know nothing about it. Cooper hijacking, according to the Ha Ha book, the CIA was behind it. Can the, anybody prove it? The book it? Ha 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 by D.B. Cooper. Yeah. And, you know, there's, it's basically a story within a story. You just got to know how to figure out that story. Yeah, and you were pointing out that there's a bunch of random words in the book that are in bold. Yeah. And you've written them all down to try and figure out what exactly was trying to be said by that. Mm-hmm. It's been quite a while since, well, over a year since I actually sat down and went through it again to try to figure that out. I mean, according to the book, there's seven clues in there that's supposedly worth $200,000 in $20 bills. Well, I know that the money's never, nobody's ever figured that clue out, so it's still possible somebody could figure it out. Somewhere you got to know where to find it to be able to collect this money. Well, I know the editor of the book was here in 96. I know on the copy my mom had, she wrote down November 6th of 96 on it. So I mean, that must be the day that she was given the books. Do you think anyone will ever find it? I don't know. 
eventually he's supposed to start giving out page numbers from what I've read. I remember where I read it. Well, I got two page numbers, but are they clues? I don't know. To me, it's, you know, Pitcher Cooper playing poker and then words. They tell me that the first letter I got, you know, those page numbers on there is the person that wrote that letter is telling me they're not a phony, that it's the real Cooper, which basically tells me that, you know, all these guys that have made the deathbed confessions, they're not Cooper. Dead men don't write letters. So you've <laughs> been contacted by who you believe is Cooper? <laughs> yes. A couple of different letters. Three letters. I also have a letter from 1976 that was sent here that contains the original ballad of D.B. Cooper. The exact but words. The exact words. Along with the musical script. So I know for positive that Richard Purry's claim that he's the one who wrote the ballad of D.B. Cooper in 76 is false. Sure, he may have copyrighted it, he may have put it out as a single, but that don't mean he's the one that wrote it. Who wrote it? A Canadian by the name of Dan Harvey Pedrick. And who's Dan Harvey Pedrick? Uh, I'm really not sure. I would assume it's an alias. Uh, you know, I put the ballard on my Facebook on my own Facebook page a friend looked up the guy's name posted his page there well since that time it's disappeared can't find it no more if you get too close to Cooper he disappears just like when the Cooper form guys were talking to this Al die he's the one that made a video on the third letter explaining where all the letters to create that third letter come from out of the two Playboy books. Ten days after it's made available to the public, well, it's like I told Bruce Smith, Aldi was Cooper. When you guys started trying to find out who this Aldi was, everything about him disappeared. When you get too close to Cooper, he's like a ghost. He disappears. Who trained people to be Ghosts, CIA, covert operations. Who's the Phoenix Suns? Yes, you'll have to read the AHA book to know more on that because it's in there. Hmm. I've mentioned it, told, keep telling Bruce, hey, read the AHA book. It's not a joke. There's more truth and fiction in it. And you mentioned Cooper has come in here a few times. Well, I believe he since 1974, he's met every person that owns, has owned Ariel's store, including myself. The last letter, he may told me, until we meet or have met with a question mark, have a drink. I did. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Went to town, got me a bourbon, had some Coke, had some D.B. Cooper bitter, and 
had a drink and toast to him, along with three friends. And he came in when your mom owned the store. Yeah, 1991, a couple of weeks before the party. We were all sitting here. It's when the original wall was still up. Heard the door open, looked over, and there he stood in the doorway. I won't say what mom said. Don't want to get anybody in trouble using inappropriate words, but like, what now? And she got up, he went in, this, followed him into the store, he grabbed a pop, asked her for a candy bar. She asked him what brought him up this way. Oh, I'd heard about the party and always wanted to come up and check it out. Well, he also told her he was on his way from Portland to Seattle on business. At least he wasn't hijacking a plane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Don't know what kind of car he was driving or anything that night, but it was pretty much the same weather as the night that he bailed out of the plane. Did he pay for his candy bar with a $20 bill? Uh, I have no idea. Didn't ask. And there, the people that were here, I mean, you could have heard him pin drop. Oh, I'm sure. When he was gone, I don't think anybody even thought to go out and look to see what kind of car he was driving. We were just all kind of blown away by his appearance. What was he wearing? Business suit. Just like plane. Same entire airing. Had you know, the dark suit on, had the tie. It was him, there was no mistaking it. Uh, I mean, you know, that was his way of meeting the new owner of burial. And then you had a similar experience when you became the owner. Oh yeah. This gentleman Walks in, had another guy with him. Looked right at him, he looked right at me, and just Sneaks told me I was looking at a legend. Uh, one of the first letters to the FBI said the, cop, the composite don't represent the truth. It don't. He don't look like that composite. It even says, tells in the Ha Ha book how he changed his appearance. Right. Dressing for a part. Pull off the hijacking, you know. If you don't look nothing like the composite, you know. How are they going to prove otherwise unless they can catch him? And they never will. He's too smart. Smart enough to get away with it. I mean, this November would be 47 years. And, you know, they claim he was between 30 and 60. Well, was he really? According, according to his description, his disguise added year the way he fixed himself up. It added years to his age. It makes you wonder, how old was he really? Yeah, if he made himself he look older. He could have been in the 20s. Because you have letters from him uh, just two years ago. Yeah. First one, August 22nd. Second one, September 7th. Third one, November 2nd. I know he's keeping an eye on me. <laughs> and November 5th is my birthday. He sends me a letter the second, thanks me and mom, and says, well, until we meet or have met with a question mark, have a treat. Oh yeah, I had a treat. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 96 
signing book. There's a lot of people's names that are actually looking for him, and he's actually here partying with them, and none of them can recognize him. That basically tells you that, you know, you want to keep relying on the composite, go for it, because you'll never find him. It was a disguise. Take it off. You, you know. And said, in one of the first letters, it don't represent the truth. You can change it any way you want. Still not going to represent the truth. That's pretty cocky to be here with all these people who are trying to find you. And you're just hanging out, having a beer with them. And they don't even know. Yeah. That's pretty great. Yeah. It's like he tells me he wants to be here when he's incognito. Is he really incognito or is that actually him in his real life? Look. The incognito look would be the composite. Oh, I see. Exactly. The composite is his disguise. Yeah, the composite is his disguise. It's like Hollywood actors, you know. They make them up to look like, you, you know, even back in the 70s, they could change a person's appearance. That's what Cooper did. He changed his appearance. Yeah, and if it's a government job, then they have unlimited resources to help change his appearance. Yeah. It's like, how did he get to the airport? They asked everybody. Nobody knows how he got there. How do you think he got there? I think somebody flew him in, small plane. Kind of drove there, because I'm sure they checked all the cars in the parking lots. They talked to all the cab companies and stuff. Oh, yeah, and bus companies. Yeah. Well, there's only, only you know, he'd had to either fly in another, in on another plane, changed his appearance there at the airport, then went and bought the ticket for Portland to Seattle, but just from the location that four of the letters were sent from. He had an accomplice. Accomplice flew him in, let him off, flew back out. Waited, they left the next day. Four days time, they visited four different areas, exchanged the money in Canada for Canadian money, instantly made it a profit. Some of the details of how he laundered the money are in the ha book. He wasn't. The dumb guy? No. Mm-hmm. No, this definitely wasn't a heist that uh, just some punk pulled off. Yeah. You know, it was well executed and well planned. Oh, absolutely. Where do you think he jumped? I thought he had jumped out of the plane over Ariel until I got the second letter. And then maybe said, easy jump, Aurora. Don't know if it's just somebody playing with me or if it's just actually... The Actual Cooper. More misdirection. Yeah, it's always about misdirection. But I look at the writing on these letters I got. It's from an older person. And they're pretty close to the writing of a letter from 76. And when the, the writing original on the Ballard. ticket. Yeah, and the writing on the ticket. I'm, I don't have the money to go... Take it all to a handwriting expert to prove it. And even if it all matches, it still don't tell you who Cooper is. That's true, I guess. Why hasn't the FBI come to talk to you? I mean, you have an incredible amount of evidence in the store. I mean, 40 years worth of evidence. 
um, maybe they're afraid of mom. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they haven't, you know, Billy Jensen and uh, Tom Feudis was the last ones to interview her. I was here that day. They, and that was basically about a month before she passed away. What was her thought on, on Cooper? <laughs> she really never come out and say, it's this person. You know, just, maybe she didn't just say, well, it's like when she signed the parachute. Keep them guessing, DB. DB. She liked more that it was unsolved, that it was like this legend or folklore. That plus somebody got something over on the government. Stick it to the man. Yeah. So I always figured it was somebody that got screwed over by the IRS because it, you know, I was sure when it was, but she claimed people, you know, the IRS would come in and take everything people would own for no hardly any reason at all. So she figured maybe that's what had happened to Cooper. Really didn't ever did discuss her whether that much, you know, the business was hers. Mm -hmm. So I always kind of stayed in the background. Most people would know me as the one, you know, moving in and out of the crowd, going from the walk-in to the cooler behind the bar, keeping it stocked. That's what mom used to like to do too, sit and watch people. Kind of gives you an edge, I guess, to knowing when they're actually being truthful with you or trying to feed you a line of BS. And I know there's some of the ones investigating Cooper that mom pretty much made it known she really didn't care too much about him, but, you know, she only expressed that when they weren't here, so. <laughs> <laughs> you know, she didn't want to cause no problems. But, uh, I think she really did know more than what others would like her to know. Well, I'm sure she's, other than the letters I've gotten, she's seen the others. And she's met him at least one time. Well, yeah. And I would say who it was my mother had somebody taking pictures of somebody in 96. Oh, so you think they knew that I'm taking these pictures, but I know D.B. Cooper's in the crowd. Well, I think it was done on the sly. Do you think he knew he was getting his picture taken? Well, you know, Cooper party, a lot of people are taking pictures. That's true. So he may have or may not have. Is why well, I look at 91, mom talked to him. She'd remember his voice. So if he'd come in the door in 96 and starts talking to her, she's going to know. So she knew, too, that there's all these people here who want to figure out who Cooper is, but he's right there. And she, and she knows, wasn't. and he knows. And yep. everyone else is just oblivious. Yeah. That's pretty cool. She knew something that would have got the guy caught. She wouldn't have said it. Somebody asked her, she'd have told them to go mind their own damn business. <laughs> you know. I mean, you know. 
Sure, I may know what he looks like. Can I say for positive that it is him? No. Why not? Can I go, have a guy tell him, well, you need to reopen the case because I know this, I have this. Are they going to do it? No, they basically said, you know, we're not interested in doing any more investigation unless you can put forward the money or the parachute. Well, the money, it's gone, you know, other than what they found on the river, they'll never find the rest of it. It was laundered. How do you think the money on the river got there? I think it was planted just like it says in the Ha Ha book. He planted it up, up river from the Lewis River just to mess with the FBI. Because at the time they're oh, either drowned in the lake or the river. Okay, I'll go plant this money 20 miles up the river. Let them explain that. People say, well, he landed there, landed in the river and died, and that's why all the shards are there. Well, you read the Ha Ha book. No. He had the money clamped in a riverbed to a piece of pipe or whatever, steel rod, something embedded into his creek on his property. Had a clamp to that in order to remove them clamp marks in order to bury the money. He removed all that. You know, and I'm sure it all come off in little bits and pieces and that's where all the shards they found beside the packets come from. And he stood right there and peeled it all off to get rid of the clamp marks on the top and on the bottom. That okay. makes sense. Yeah. All right, Brian, well, let's pick up uh, Ted Mayfield, Ted Braden, and Sheridan Peterson. Hey, well, the night of the hijacking, while the plane was still in the air, Mayfield, who a lot of the executives or people of North West Orient thought Mayfield was a hijacker. Well, he called Hamelsbach while the plane was still in the air. They still didn't know if Cooper had jumped or not. What I find kind of odd is the location I was given to where Cooper actually landed is where Mayfield's parachuting school is at. And that was at the time, which was Aurora, Oregon. Uh, it's got a small airport there. Uh, the flight path takes it right past there, that airport. Landmarks, Willamette River. It's got a bend in it. Visible from the air. Yeah, the river's going to be visible from the air. I'm sure Mayville, you know, he grew up in the in that area. He went to school in the Gresham area. He grew up in the Powell Valley area, which, you know, I guess that area would also include like Aurora. To me, you know, there's more than one person involved in it, I think, but you read the Ha book, it basically says he did it alone well. No, I think there's others or a lot of misdirection, <laughs> you know, and it involves people, all of them look similar to each other. You know, you got Mayfield, he looks like Sheridan Peterson, but so does uh, Ted Braden. I mean, you can go on and on with people who 
actually look like it's a composite, but does Cooper actually look like that composite? No. Not from what I've seen. <laughs> but all the other suspects involved look exactly like the composite. Yeah. You know, was it designed to be that way? It, you know, it was like before the hijacking, Mayfield and Himmelsbach had problems with the way some of Mayfield's pilots and that were operating their planes there at the Roar Airport. Himmelsbach went to Federal Aviation Administration, complained. That could be a grudge for Cooper if Cooper was one of Mayfield's guys. Sheridan Peterson and Ted Braden, they both from World War II, both experienced parachutists. Both were in Vietnam. Mayfield was in Vietnam. McCoy was in Vietnam. A lot of the ones that look like the composite, Vietnam. The covert operations over there. I, apparently, from what I've read, they, the CIA would train guys. Two guys to act like one person, be one and the same person, but yet it would be two different people. So why not a bunch of different people? Yeah. Okay, so these guys, okay, how many of them volunteered to go to Vietnam? How many were drafted? That group said, he's just got a grudge. Does anybody really know what that grudge was? Maybe the grudge was Himmelsbach turning Mayfield's bunch into the aviation administration. Could be that over the atrocities happening in Vietnam. Which was a book that Sheridan Peterson was working on? Yeah, Sheridan Peterson was in Nepal at the time, supposedly writing an 824-page book on the atrocities in Vietnam. Nobody, nobody would, you know, government catches wind of it, they're going to shut it down. What better way to shut Sheridan Peterson down than to have somebody hijack an airplane looking like him? And Sheridan Peterson would have had the skill set to do it. So why not send somebody who looks just like him, who has his same skill set? Yeah. So it's a crime that, you know, on paper, all of this could only be Sheridan Peterson. Yeah. To keep, you know, a lot of what he probably wrote about is probably still classified. He worked for the CIA. Has anyone seen that book? As far as I know, no. It's never been published, as far as I know. I mean, some of the stuff has been unclassified. So you think it was the CIA that organized all this to cover I, up that? Well, they happened during the years of Nixon, and there were a lot of cover-ups going. I mean, not only with Nixon, but with Johnson, too. Like, our troops went into Cambodia. Do you think Johnson or Nixon were going to admit they were in Cambodia? No. They'd cover it up. There's a lot of stuff that went on in Vietnam that was covered up and is still covered up. You know, guys were taken prisoner of war in Cambodia. Our government wouldn't do nothing to help them. Because we weren't supposed to be in Cambodia, we were supposed to be in Vietnam. You know, you got Laos, and it's like, okay, well, what is a wasp? That's a military woman. It's mentioned in the Ha Ha book. You know, it's a story within a story. Somebody's. And part of that story is the Phoenix Sun program. Eminem, Mayfield and McCoy. Some may think the book's a joke, but I don't.
you just have to be able to read between the lines of the book. Like yeah. you said, see the story within the story. Yeah, it's a story within a story. There's, you know, as you read through the book, there's words that are highlighted. There's words that are in bold. You know, it's all clues. Supposedly there are seven clues to find 200,000, but there, you know, are those clues really to find the 200,000 or are the, is it all pointing to the hijacking itself and who's behind it? To me, the government was behind it. One, to keep Peterson's book from being published and to upgrade the security at the airport, kill two birds with one stone. Every hijacking until Cooper got away with it, because they'd all been caught by the FBI. Well, Cooper's never been caught. Government at that time didn't work together. Did it work together then, just like in 2001, 9 11? They could have prevented 9 11 from happening if government agencies would work together. They don't want to. I guess. So, you know, 71, was the CIA and FBI working together? No. Were they in 2000 at the time of 9-11 happened? No. So it'd be easy for the CIA to pull this off and not only not let the FBI know, but keep them from solving it. Yeah. Like, you know, they claim they got these cigarette butts off the plane that Cooper smoked. Really? Where are they at? Well, then they How said they, they lost How did they disappear? Them. <laughs> it's like with the, the tie they claim they got the DNA off of okay the plane lands in Reno the FBI goes in gets all this evidence they send it back to Seattle why did they wait four days to send that tie to Seattle did they have to put somebody's DNA on there makes you wonder yeah what exactly happened with those four days mm-hmm or did they have to run out and find a tide that say, oh, this is one that Cooper left behind? He was smart enough to, to take his, his briefcase or his bomb and the money and the chutes. Why would he leave the tie behind? Yeah. It, you know, was the tie just planted? So they could say, oh, we got this that we can use later for DNA to frame somebody? Well, they've taken a lot of people's DNA. There's one person who was a suspect that they never DNA'd. And who's that? Ted Mayfield. And why wouldn't they want to take Ted Mayfield's DNA? Was, he called Ralph Himmelsbach the night of the hijacking while the plane was still in there. They didn't know Cooper had bailed out of the plane. Calling Himmelsbach gave Mayfield his alibi. And it was at 9 o'clock that he called him, right? Right around 9. And Cooper had probably been on the ground for a few minutes by then. Oh, yeah. I, you know. So if you jump at your own airport, or not your own airport, I'm sorry, your own, your own drop zone, yeah, you get to a phone real easy. Yeah. And according to the uh, book, there he had a five mile target area. How far is the Aurora Airport from the Willamette River? Let me guess, five miles. I don't know. I've never take, checked map. I've seen it. Maybe I know where, you know, the Willamette River kind of jogs. You know, kind of like a bend in the river. You can use that, you know. 
who was Mayfield, he'd be very familiar with it. He grew up in that area. He's got jump school in that area. Yeah, constantly in the air over that area. Yeah, he'd be very familiar with it. He would also be very familiar with the Seattle area. Because I've heard it okay. Which way would he get up there to visit his daughter? Is he going to spend a couple hours driving, or is he going to fly his airplane up there? He had no Tacoma from the air. So with Sheridan Peterson, according to some of the stuff I read, he was part of the Boeing jump school. He supposedly worked at Boeing. You know, so Would have known about the aft stairs being able to be lowered in flight. Yeah. I mean, he was there, according to some of the information I found, that, you know, while teaching at Lake Washington High School in Kirkland, earned his instructor's license in skydiving at Issaquah, Issaquah Skyport during 1960 to 65. Yeah, I've done some research. <laughs> You're a writer, Brian. Have you ever thought about writing a book about it? Um... Not really. I guess I uh, kind of got an outline going, but you know, most of what you know, I don't know how much new information I would have other than like the letters I've gotten or the letters I found that were sent here. Well, that's new information. Yeah. Well, yeah. And you have your timeline. But I don't. And the history of the store. Uh huh. There's one guy that come. He told me to keep bugging me until I do write a book. But you know, I write poetry. I don't write novels. <laughs> <laughs> not yet, anyways. <laughs> well, yeah, not yet. You know, do I want him caught? No. <laughs> Would I help anybody catch him? No. <laughs> you know, like my mom. You know, she wasn't about to really tell anybody what she actually knew. She kept it to herself. And just from talk to one guy, I know myself that Cooper's here in 91. I suspect he was here in 96 plus 2001. Because when he was here in September 2016, the gentleman with me, with him, told me that they'd talked to mom 15 years earlier. So that would be 2001, every five years, you know, 91, 96, 2001, that's every year for five-year anniversary. 91 was the 20th anniversary, that's when he stood there in the doorway. Just a few days before the big event. And probably a couple of weeks before the party. That's his way of meeting the new owner. And it was like, he said in the second letter, he, be here when they're incognito, when there's no TV filming or anything. He knew Travel Town was going to be here before I, you know, he's watching. Do you think he can kind of control some of the information that's getting out or the information that people are presenting on the internet? It's hard to say. He could be putting out misleading information himself. Uh, it's like some of these letters that have come from like the Air Force and CIA. You know, he was caught and, you know, the government closed the case. Well, that was a case 
then why did the FBI just recently close the investigation part? The case ain't closed. It's still open. There's still an open indictment. He just can't step out and say, here I am. Ah, he'd be arrested. Yeah, the FBI just closed the said they closed the case because they weren't going to pursue it anymore. No, the, but like you said, there still is an indictment against John Doe. Yeah, for the John for Doe. the skyjacking. Oh, I've thought about writing Trump a letter and say, "Hey, give D.B. Cooper a John Doe pardon. He's been on the run for almost forty-seven years, and you know from your own experience with the FBI that." They really can't solve anything. Why not a presidential pardon? He helped make your airline travel safer for you and your family. So after 47 years of not being caught, why not pardon him? That why not let him cool. come out and say what he has to say? Yeah, if he's still alive, everyone would love to hear his story. Yeah, I mean, to me, you know... I know letters I've gotten suggest that it's Cooper and that he is still alive. Um, I fear the one record is, you know, the pictures I've seen is of someone my mom thought was Cooper. But can anybody really prove anything on Cooper? No. That'd be the way he wants it. Yeah. You know, it's like in the last one, he he thanks mom and I. You know, mom had the party for 25 years, but you know, if she hadn't have bought it, how many more times in them 25 years would have been sold and returned, resold? You know, so out the you know. Yeah, she kept it alive. Yeah, she kept it alive. She kept it going. You know, others say, oh, this person kept it alive or brought more attention to it. What brings the most attention to it is the DB and the annual Cooper party. Yeah, it really does. And somebody thinking my mom and me tell me that, you know, Cooper appreciates this place keeping his leg legend legacy going. Uh, you know, I plan to do the same thing once I get it open. It's just gonna take time. And you, we were talking earlier, you um, hooked up with Robert Blevins to get organized at another event to help get it opened. Yeah, I, uh, right after I became owner, talked to Robert about doing a GoFundMe account, which, you know, Bailey did too, but all told, only $85 in donations. And a lot of that was, I fear, how he presented it, you know. I invited people, he wanted me to have people, he wanted to come down one weekend and have people here. He wanted me to have people here so he could, you know, record them, saying what the place meant to them. So we all did. Well, apparently none of that turned out. Did you get a copy of any of that? Any of those no. videos? None of them. He said none of it was any good. It's like, okay. So, you know, basically he does, I apparently sits in his office and uses these poster boards with stuff on them to make the, you know, to me it was, wasn't a very good 
<laughs> video with what he did. Well, because my computer programs are outdated and all that, I couldn't even get on the site to even see the video. And somebody else brought down their laptop and I actually got sit and I just, that's not, you know, oh, it wasn't very well done. And what got me is he was able to do other videos. You know, the first video, everybody here talking about what the place means to them. It's a nice and sunny day. Sure, a little bit of a breeze. A couple other videos he does. It's raining, the weather's not that good, but they turn out just great. So that tells me, you know, he wasn't trying to help me. Made me feel like he was using me to promote himself versus trying to help me promote to raise some donations to help me get this building open. And that event and everything, only $85 was raised for the store? Yeah. I told him to keep the money, cover his costs. You know, $85, the GoFundMe places, they want their cut. So that, you know, like sitting here one day, drink coffee, phone rings, it was a travel channel. They're out, they asked me if I would do a mock D.B. Cooper deal. Well, I already was planning on having one in November, but would have had to have it outside. And it was basically, I can't buy and sell alcohol or nothing. I don't have a license yet. Travel Channel gave me dates, and I picked end of August, and that's Bailey. It was a Cooper party in August in memory of my mother. Right. The Travel Channel was here to, to record it. Well, Robert's, you know, he made, you know, it's two wants it to be a two-day event. It's going to be like a Woodstock deal. And I'm like, um, <laughs> creates this playlist probably more fitter for a Woodstock event than a memorial party in honor of my mother's memory. And he wonders why I don't want nothing to do with him. I, he creates a playlist and says, oh, we all decided this one song, which I don't even remember the name of it was, to dedicate to my mom. Well, there, to me, there's only one song that would be O'Donna. Did you end up having the event? Yeah, I had the event here in August the 2016 for the Travel Channel as part of their expedition unknown. Mm -hmm. They included maybe a minute of everything they filmed here. I talked to them. I know they took pictures and stuff inside the store because I had all the t-shirts hung up and I had stuff displayed, Cooper stuff displayed, but they really never showed any of that. Were there a bunch of other people from the uh, Cooper Vortex? here for that event? Um, there was one guy that had a display. He lives up Cougar. Paul, I'm not sure what his last name is. Him and Robert seemed to hit it off pretty good because they both seemed to think of Kenny Christian was Cooper, and I don't. Right. If somebody came to you with another idea for raising money, uh, to open the store back up, would you listen to him or would you be a little hesitant now at this point? I would listen to him, but, and, you know, I, if, you know, some of them, oh, you get this person involved or this person, well, no, I don't do it because I'm not willing to give up any ownership in order to get the business reopened. Oh, of course. Yeah. 
you know, I've tried to raise donations, sure. I've, some of the people have stopped in and given me money towards donations. It's like when I had the party outside, you know. It cost me about $1,600 to put that on. Mm -hmm. Well, that's about what I got that day. Uh, I didn't have a whole lot of people here. I think a lot of reason that was because, you know, because of how it was being labeled. It's going to be a two-day event, a Woodstock type of thing. No. It's never how the D.B. Cooper party has ever been. It's about Cooper. You know, people come to celebrate what he did. And, you yeah, know, just hang out and drink and beer and talk about D.B. Cooper. Hang out and talk about Cooper. You know, some of the authors of books have been here. Well, many of them. Yeah, you know, just play, you know. And that day, you know, it's just basically a gathering spot for the community, and that's basically what I want it to be. When I get it open, sure, it's going to have the like a main Cooper museum displaying my mother's entire Cooper collection. And, you know, maybe I'll want food service because if I don't have food service, basically I don't have a business. Except maybe somebody stop in maybe a couple times a week for a beer. Other than that, no. To be able to open a business, i got to be able to make some kind of money to support the business. For sure. Yeah, you know, I mean... Like I know, last Cooper party my mom had five grand just to put it on. You know, you're talking eight hundred bucks for a band. You know, the T-shirts, all the promotional items, all that adds up real quick. The beer and stuff. And right now, why would I want to put out five grand of my own money to have a DB Cooper party and have no way to recover it? Because I can't legally sell alcohol, like when I had the party. So, hey, hey, everybody's, it's fine if you want to bring your own. I can't sell anything. Some of us suggested having a private party. Well, right now, with all the work that needs to be on this building, I can't afford to put out any money for a party without making repairs first. Saving this building is more important to me than the party is it's a historical building you know it represents 25 years of my mom's life it's always been a gathering spot for the community and that's why i want it to be again yeah and like you said this building is aerial yeah yes i'm on a one-man mission to save a town known as aerial washington it's sure it's unincorporated but you know this building represents aerial does anybody want to see it go away? I don't. I don't. I know there's a lot of others that don't. Like now, hopefully by this coming next winter, I'll have a roof put on it. You know, as I've told people, it don't do me any good to display anything in this building if it's just going to get ruined by a leaking roof. I've had as many as 15, 16 containers out collecting water. Two layers of five-inch sheet rock fell out of the kitchen ceiling and basically it needs completely redone you know i'm not too worried about the living area i can do that as the business is going my main concern is all the other repairs that got to be done there's a lot 
like recently I just spent over $1,500 redoing my well pump and the well pressure tank. Things only last so long, and it had been in the ground for 26 years, so I guess in a way it works out better. Now at least I know it's brand new and I don't have to do it. <laughs> it's already done. It's one less thing I got to contend with. Right. And like one guy stopped, well, have food service, all you got to do is put stainless steel on your walls. No. You got to do everything by code. There's a lot more involved than what some people can, I guess, they don't really grasp on what all's involved in getting it reopened. No, because when your mom owned the store and she's serving food and beer, it wasn't exactly up to current code. Oh, no, she, you know, maybe the first five years she might have had a license for like deli sandwiches and stuff. She was never licensed to do her tacos or her steak. You know, everybody wants me to do her talk and stuff. I'm fine with that, but I got to do it legal. When my mom did it, every time she did food, she faced six months and a $1,000 fine. I'm not going there. <laughs> <laughs> it's legal or, you know, you know, I got. And the I, city or the county might have turned a blind eye to it then because she was grandfathered in, but well, you're certainly not going to now. Oh, no, I've pretty much told him, you know, I'm willing to work with you and get done what I need to do in order to get the place reopened. And Bailey told him, you know, I'm not like, Mom, I'm not going to fight you for 25 years for no, really no good reason other than just because be honorary, stick my, you know. I can't do like, you know, I'm sure mom, lo I guess, liked to fight with him. It was, you know, she did her things her way, and whether they liked it or not, which a lot of people like, because in a way, she like Cooper sticking her nose up at the government <laughs> doing whatever the heck she wanted. So she'd, oh, when they come, she'd tell them what she thought of them. And well, me, if I want to reopen the business, there's a new business. I got to work with him. I can't be like my mom. Do you think the county has an interest in the place opening back up? Or do you think they just don't don't care? I wonder sometimes. Sometimes I feel like they'd rather see the, you know, place not here at all. It has uh, so much historical importance. You'd think they would have some, that they'd be able to see that. Yeah, but... Who's right below me? Pacific Core. And you think they have Corporate interest money's in more important than a small business. Corporations want to take over. They don't want small businesses like this to exist. You know, they done wiped out one aerial store. I'm sure if I wanted to sell this, put it on the market, the first ones at the door would be Pacific Core to tear it down and turn it into nothing but a pile of rubble. The county... I sometimes I feel they feel that way too, especially after a county road employee tells my mother that they can create enough vibration on the road out in front of this building to collapse it. Why would he say that? I don't know. It's like, you know, 
since I've been here, since about 2010, 2011, I've really gotten on to the county about all the speeding. What's the speeding do? It creates vibration. Pacific Corps got on to their guys about exceeding the speed limit on this road. And, you know, they do it for a few days and then they're right back out. I mean, they, you know, the 25 mile an hour speed limit on a narrow road, several blind spots, you know, coming down, you can't see over the hill, the road over the hill going past the store coming up, you can't see over that same hill. You, can, you know, we've had numerous people almost get hit just trying to go to their vehicles. There's no sense in people going 50, 60 miles an hour on a 25 mile an hour road. No. And a lot of it is, you know, they, just no respect. I just shake my head at times. Even school buses. If one's going down and one's coming up, they can't pass each other without one of them having to go off to the edge of the road. They know it. You know, the Luska Foundation, I called up there one time, got on to them about the, you know, they do a lot of programs for school kids. I've told Pacific Corps and the Sheriff's Department, the county, hey, you know, spring and fall, there's a lot of school buses bringing other people's kids to Luluska. There's no reason for these guys to be flying up and down these roads. Is it, are they just deliberately letting it all go on because it creates vibration which could destroy this store? Is that their motivation for letting it happen? They should be looking out for this building like a historical landmark. Yeah. You would think they would. You know? That's a shame. It's one of the oldest, it's, you know, it's one of the very few probably left in the state that are post and beam construction, old school construction. What year was the building built? Well, as far as I can determine, mom thought 1929. As far as I've been able to tell, maybe 1927 or before. The county government would care about tourism, but I guess when it comes to this place, they don't. Maybe because they can't make any money off of it? When it's open, they'll be making money off of it. You know, it's got to be licensed to the county. The only thing the state has is, uh, you know, got to go to the state, pay them a certain amount of money for a tax number. Excise tax will have to be paid on all sales. It's like for the 25 years mom operated this place, nobody had to pay tax. Mom paid it out of her own pocket. And you mentioned the last few years she ran the store. She ran it taking a loss. Oh, yeah. From, I don't know, from going through her books from 1996 until the time of her death, she made no profit. She lost anywhere from three to $15,000 a year. She did it for, you know, she took those losses. Can't really say that. There are actual losses. That's what's reflected on her tax returns. Oh, so, I see. <laughs> you know, mom, had, you know, because she was on Social Security, she had to watch what she was making. So basically, it was better for her to show a loss. But I know there were, she had losses. I've been to school for accounting. I know, I know that, you know, I helped her. At different times of the business, I know she was making some money off stuff, but not a lot. But well, like you said, you don't, you're not running this business to get rich. No, 
basically the only time you really get, you know, like with mom, her taco night was probably the biggest night she had rather than her steak night, which she did once a month. The taco night was every Wednesday and Thursday. Thursdays were usually slow for tacos. Wednesday was the main night. And there's people that are adults now that come in here as kids for tacos. The place holds a lot of memories for a lot of people. Do you get overwhelmed thinking about everything that has to happen to get this place open back up? Oh, yeah. But, you know, I'm committed to it, getting it open back up, because I know that's what my mom wanted when she, before she passed. She didn't want to see it closed. You know, she was trying to get her finances in order to where she could transfer it all over to me before something happened to her. Unfortunately, that didn't happen. I was here with her for five years, helping her keep the place going. There were times when we butted heads. Because, you know, there were certain things she shouldn't have been doing that she was doing, but you could run it on her and she'd just tell you to mind your own business. It was her choice. So, you know, last six months was hard. I don't know how many people have ever had to sit and watch a parent give up and die. And that's basically what my mom did when the health department, somebody turned her in. She could no longer do her tacos, and that was it. Somebody turned her in to the health department? People, she'd been turned in numerous times, mostly for actually serving the tacos. Well, I kind of have an idea who that was. I do know who the last person is that turned her in, but I'm not going to say. I know that because I was told by the health department why they come here that night, and it had nothing to do with food service. This place was my mom's life without it. You know, food service is what brought the customers in. Sure, people would stop by and have a beer and stuff. Without the food service, you really didn't have a chance to be in business. Right, it was why they came in to, to eat tacos and hang out with Donna. Yeah. A lot of people, you know, she wasn't the only, only the owner of Ariel's store. She was, you know, to a lot of them, she was like a mother or a grandmother, a good friend. And that's why I said in the, you know, in the poem that I wrote that was read at her celebration of life, you know, She's my mom, but she was a mother to a lot of others. You know, somebody needed if somebody needed somebody to talk to. They knew they'd come talk to mom. And like it says, uh, mother, grandmother, great grandmother. Through life, a true friend to many others. And a lot of people love and cherish her. Everyone always spoke so fondly of her. Yeah, one of them rare people, I guess. Not many like her. Um, not look at this. Why I got some awful hard shoes to fill, and you know, all I can do is be myself. I'm a lot like my mom, and it's like I've told people, I'm a, you know, it's like when people start cussing stuff, I'm gonna have me a cuss bucket up. If somebody wants to cuss, they're gonna have to pay that bucket a quarter. <laughs> they want to stick a bucket, a dollar in. The cuss bucket and stand there and cuss three more times, they're going out the door. Because 
it's about having respect for each other. I don't, you know, I don't want to sit and listen to somebody use a cuss word every other word. Parents don't want, you know, I want kids to be able to come in here like they've always been able to. But I don't want kids subjected to foul language. Right. Uh, one is my good place. So people have respect for each other. This is what the point of the cuss bucket. You know, if you're going to cuss, you're going to pay the bucket. If you want to be dumb enough to stand there and put a bucket in and cuss it three more times, I'm going to tell you to get out the door and don't come back until you grow up and start having respect. <laughs> Not only for me, but for what this building stands for and for my customers. If you can't do that, don't bother being here. Like community gathering spot, like Margaret talks about in the story of this area history. It's always been this place for the community to gather. You know? there, there's and there's a lot of people that want to, you know, watch. I think a lot of people complain there's no place for families to actually be able to go and have a reasonable dinner. Just a place for local families and... Yeah, other people family. to come and hang out. It was like now I do. I, you know, my mom started this bunker group several years ago. I still do it once a month. How many people show up for that? It varies. You know, twelve to twenty people, sometimes less. But it's just, you know, all the ones that do it, they love doing it because once a month we all get together. We get to catch up with what's going on with each other's lives. And have a little bit of fun while we're doing it. If people want to help you get the store back up and going, how can they reach out? How can they contact you? Well, the phone number is still the same as what it's always been. I have a Donna's Aerial Store Facebook page. I have my own Facebook page where if somebody wanted to donate anonymously, they could, you know. And I was like, I said, you know, people want to donate, I'm fine with that. And mm -hmm. it would help me get this place open more because right now I'm just working minimum wage. I mean, once I get my bills paid and got what I need, anything extra, I save. That's the best I can do. And it, you know, it's going to take a while. Well, hopefully we'll see this place open up again soon. Oh, yeah, I hope so. Yeah, it's her legacy, just like it's Cooper's legacy, just like it's Ariel's legacy. It's three legacies in one building. Yeah, it is. I know everyone in the Cooper Vortex wants this place to stay open. Help from somebody to try to get me going in the right direction. You know, I've been told it's been listed as a historic site to visit. Some say I'll get it listed as a historic building. Well, I don't know that means returning everything back to where it was or... If I actually do what I want to do, make the store areas, you know, small Cooper Museum. I got a lot of historical stuff to display. Yeah, a museum and a pub. Yeah. One time, basically, when you open the door, you step, when you step through, you're stepping back in time. You know, I have county history, I have state history, I have U.S. history. You know, I got a bunch of postcards that were sent to my aunt. They're all over 100 years old, and they're in perfect condition. They even got the stamps still on them. 
pictures of the U.S. over a hundred years ago. You don't see that many photos. You know, no. a lot of people don't care about the history, but there's some of us that do, and I just happen to be one of them. You know, I've spent a lot of hours researching my family. Uh, one that signed the Declaration of Independence, Samuel Huntington. I have a, a photocopy of a discharge paper for um, another Huntington that was in the Revolutionary War. Uh, Jedediah Huntington, he was a Brigadier General under George Washington in the Revolutionary War. Oh, that's pretty neat. Yeah. That's all through the Huntington. See, my mom's maiden name, O'Neill, it's one of the, apparently one of the most documented surnames in the world. Uh, former House Speaker Thomas Tip O'Neill is a family member. I got a group photo of the O'Neill family, and he's one of the ones in that photo. I just don't know which one. Kings Valley, Oregon, settled by my family. It's named after him. The family piano, it's in the Flamomoth Museum in Oregon. It's on display. Well, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I got a picture of my fourth or fourth or fifth great-grandmother that Kings Valley's named after. I got one poster that's got the history of the American flag on it, along with all the presidents up to a certain president, along with all the states and the date, you know. A lot of history just on that one poster, stuff I wanted to display. You know, I got the memorial wall started for my mom, pictures of her life, various stages. I got stuff, her scrapbooks from her school years, all her awards from the future farmers of America, ribbons for displaying, you know, her horse, she had loved horses. Like my own collection, I got a collection of eagles, which basically I'm making a freedom wall for. And what I want to do between the the pitch photos, the, the eagle stuff that I have on that wall, I want to put pictures of veterans from this area. That's a good idea. You know, it's got the American flag, it's got the eagles. You know, if it wasn't for veterans, we wouldn't have a country. No. And see, part of my business plan during the Summer months, I want to make it where I had the outdoor area that's already got a stage there. I want to redo that. I want to put an outdoor kitchen in, fence it in with cedar, and there'll be the Cooper Corner Corral. <laughs> I like it. There'll be a flagpole there for a flag to be up and down when it's in use. It's for, like I told this one guy, it's going to be for, you know, a lot of veterans ride bikes. They like to do their poker runs and raise money for different charities that's why i want to do with that area is give them a place to dedicated just for their use they'll have an outdoor kitchen you know basically a triple sink maybe a big barbecue or there they can do their potluck their potluck or run have entertainment whatever they want to do and then part of the sales for the day will go to their whatever charity they're raising money for there were always a lot of people dressed up like D.B. Cooper for D.B. Cooper days. Yeah. It's funny to look around and see a bunch of people in suits, some with backpacks, right, parachute equipment, and sunglasses. Oh, yeah. 
standing around drinking beer. <laughs> yeah. There's one guy, and we used to call him DB just to give him a bad time because he lived up along the lake, and yeah, he was investigated as a possible DB Cooper subject. He looked like a lot like the composite, but he wasn't. Mom liked to tease people about how they look like Cooper in ways. There's some shit, yeah, that be a good possibility it could be them, but you know, she, she never really come out and would name one person. No, that guy's Cooper, and no, but I do believe her when she says that she knew knows more than what the FBI would like her to know. Oh, I'm sure. Hmm. Everyone coming around and telling her their stories and their theories. Hmm. She's probably heard even more than they have. Oh, yeah. Well, especially when, you know, like in 91, he stand right there in the doorway and she's got to go in the store and, you know, basically ring up his purchases, pop and candy bar, and she actually talked to him. She wouldn't forget his voice. If if D.B. Cooper was listening to this, would you have anything to say to him? Thanks for the memories. No. He's a legend, and, you know, through him, my mom also became a legend. You can't take one without, you know, you know, yeah, Cooper could be a legend on his own, but without Ariel Store, is he, would he be as big of a legend as he is? No. Without Ariel Store, would my mom you know, become a legend in her own way? Maybe not. She's the taco queen of the mountains. This is part of her legacy along with the Cooper story. Uh, it's all Bailey intertwined, you know. Before Cooper come along, Ariel's store did have its own history. But, you know, Jermaine starting the party, you know, Bailey put, you know, Cooper jumping out, put it on the map. Jermaine starting the party was the start of its Cooper legacy. My mom having it for 25 years, you know, she basically immortalized it all and became a legend herself. Not many people get that chance. No, so you just say thank you to D.B. Cooper. Yeah. For making the store world famous and your mom. Well, I know myself and everyone else in the, in the Cooper Vortex appreciates you keeping the legacy going of the store and of your mom. And well, I think Cooper, Cooper appreciates it too. <laughs> All right, Brian. Well, thanks again. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to my interview with Brian Woodruff. You can find Brian on the Facebook page for Donna's Aerial Store Pub at facebook.com forward slash dbcooperhome. You'll find a link to it in the show notes. Thank you to Brian Woodruff for talking to me and for the time I got to spend with him examining all the memorabilia he has in the store. Thank you to Russell Colbert for doing all the work while I have all the fun. And thank you for listening to the Cooper Vortex.